This is episode number 198. What does crisis mean to you, and how do you manage it? With Thomas Lantheror. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Hats podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a few quick announcements. The first one being an ask of all of our listeners or first timers who are choosing to tune into this particular show, and that is if you have enjoyed any of the previous episodes or the one that you're listening to right now, please consider donating one to five to maybe even $10 in order to support the production of this particular podcast, as well as the curation of all the stories that we're able to gather through the Overcoming Odds platform. The second announcement that I would like to make is an invitation to all of our listeners to our upcoming call called Courageous Conversation. This was a space that we started approximately six to eight months ago with the intention of bringing our community even closer, as well as creating a space for each and every single one of us to be able to not only better understand ourselves, but also those surrounding us. One last thing, if you have enjoyed any of the previous episodes, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can listen to these courageous and inspiring conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. Thomas, welcome back. Hi, Oleg. Good to be back. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like you and I have a podcast recording every single time we, <laughs> we have a conversation. Um, it does, so it's a bit weird if you switch on the button of recording because <laughs> that hasn't happened in a while now. Yeah. And, you know, I, there was a point of my life where some of the people I have conversations with, I remember having this desire of stopping the conversation saying, hey, we need to record this and we need to share this. But then I just realized that as important as that might be, as far as having a greater influence on on more people, that there are certain situations, in my opinion, they're just meant for you. You know, like, and I think that's the conversations that you and I have that aren't recorded. I truly value those as just conversations that are meant like for us. And it's not necessarily for anyone that's listening. We're not, you know, talking poorly about anyone else or judging or anything. But I just think that when you hit the record button, unless you have done it long enough, there's like a different energy that that space carries. And it's not necessarily, I don't think you show up as a different person. You know, like I still show up as myself, you show up as yourself, but maybe it's the expectation. Maybe it's the expectation that changes. It could be the focus too. I mean, what I, what I like about our conversations is we never know where they take us and they still take us always somewhere. (laughs) Beautiful paths we've been exploring in, in each of our talks and I think just when the recording button is on, it's basically the technicality all of a sudden that comes in, which for seconds makes it a bit artificial. Mm-hmm. But for us, it's always like, I mean, it was last time it was the case that we forgot about it very quickly. So I'd almost mm-hmm. forgotten about it when we talk about it. 
That's a beautiful space to be in. So something I wanted to talk to you about was um, in regard to your own experience when it comes to crisis. I know that you've done quite a bit of work on your own. You're doing some work right now. Crisis Compass, is that right? That's right. Um, And I actually just gave an hour webinar, not around crisis, but adversity. Mm -hmm. Uh, What does adversity mean? And, and, been able to share my own experience, but this concept of crisis, it's fast. It fascinates me because a, there's so many different perspectives that come around it. Um, and so I'm thinking that maybe the way that you and I can even start this off is what does crisis even mean? What does crisis mean to you? Knowing what you know now, Um, the ultimate question. (laughs) No, I mean, crisis is of course, something we've talked about a lot during this quite quite intense year. Um, and yeah, I, I've worked with in crisis for many, many years. I have, uh, or so-called crisis, that's what probably I need to say because what the last year has been done for me was also to to reflect exactly over that question that you're asking me now. So I'm not sure I have a, the ultimate answer yet, but I can try. Um, for me, what I always found when I worked in these situations, they were labeled crisis, whether it was a humanitarian crisis or when it, whether it was any other situation that was labeled a crisis. I felt that this was, this was exactly it. it, was a label. Because whoever I talked to in that situation, they described this situation very differently. Mm-hmm. This is my starting point. So I had, um, when I did my reflections, I thought a lot about it. What Do we have this common understanding or is this one of the terms like, I don't know, let's say love or let's, uh, you know, respect that we we see very differently, even though we talk about the same thing. And for myself, I've come to the conclusion that this just might be the case. So I I look upon crisis as something that's a lot related to language in a way that we call a situation crisis based upon how we interpret that term. And yes, there's similar things that we all see the same it seems to be very stressful there seems a lot of negative emotions connected to it so when what i noticed when you talk to people about it and you label something crisis you immediately something happens in the people there's either a sense of urgency or stress or you know life signs are elevated so so pulse and everything so i think those things are are very similar and that just made me think because um is crisis actually something we can all say is the same so we live all in this covid crisis now but do we all see the same thing uh, probably not does it mean mm-hmm. the same thing for us probably not and what i have done is actually i've started to ask people what and i think i asked you in one of our talks as well mm-hmm. uh, what the opposite of crisis is for you and there i got a lot of different answers and it just showed me that people for people crisis often is what they're lacking like whether it's stability or whether it's safety or whether it's control or whether it's even, you know, some people flourish in, in crisis. So for them, it might be just chaos the other way around. Um, so it's in short, maybe to sum up for me, it's not a, it's not a unique term. So it's not something that we all understand the same way. It's for me rather a label, something that often is constructed, but of course feels very real. Um, but that helps us to talk about the same thing, to give it a name. And some things that I associate with crisis situations is, it's basically, um, it's a situation where choice is inevitable. So you, you have to make a choice one way or the other, or even uh, several choices if you have. And the system, because I like to think in systems, and the system is about to really change its rules or its dynamics completely. 
and mm-hmm. often it seems that it's out of our control and that's what makes it maybe a crisis for me hmm. you know one of the things that i've always find fascinating about our conversations is um one of the things that i've learned is that many of the things in life are just a matter of perspective <laughs> crisis and assumptions and all these other conversations that we've had I mean, whatever may be an assumption to you or a crisis to you does not have to be a crisis to me. Um, one of the things that I find fascinating, though, about crisis in, in general, as you had mentioned, is that it creates an opportunity for a decision. And it's not to say that, like, everything needs to be decided in order to move forward. I mean, there is a lot of beauty in just being able to sit there in patience or having to not decide you know, because indecision is also a decision, something that you've taught me as well. I might as well compile a book here, Thomas's lessons. (laughs) But there there is something beautiful about that space that a form of crisis creates and it's the ability to decide. And that's the thing that fascinated me for however long. It's like, that's amazing because very few things, I think, create that sense of urgency. For one to decide. There's also a bit of a danger there because, as you say, I think decisions for me are that that's really something we all have in common. So, when it comes to crisis, they're, they're just a point where you don't you have to make a decision. That's yeah. just how it, how it works. Because, yes, and I think that's a key point what you say, even if we're not making a decision, that's also a choice we've made. It might not seem like it's a decision, but yeah, then we're just not acting or we're continuing like we've done before. But that doesn't mean the system around us stops. So it's also a decision not to do anything different. Um, but it, but exactly that sense of urgency I found fascinating because the sense of urgency is something that is often just a sense. And I have I have noticed that many people are um, by that sense of urgency are actually pushed into decision making. That's what makes it so difficult because it's like well we have to decide here and now. But often it's exactly that magic moment, like, you know, take a breath, look at what's around you, understand the situation for yourself. You don't have to have a necessarily common understanding of it, but understand it for yourself. See what my choices are. Maybe they're choices I haven't even seen yet. Um, And then decide, because there's always this moment. This moment is always there. It says, yeah, arguably for, for, let's say for, for firefighters or for ambulance drivers, it might not be. But yet they're so trained in this that it's also there. They do this just very quick, quick and have automatized it. But this particular moment to just take a stop, look around you, understand what you're feeling, what's going on, and then get an overview of your choices and take the decision. That's just a key skill for me. Uh, If you can do that, you have almost like a little superpower in a crisis, I think. What makes a decision a decision? (laughs) We've also had that conversation recently. For me, for me, a decision is, is, I mean, what makes a decision a decision is really, yeah, you, you have different choices and, and you probably make one deliberate or not. But uh, for me, a decision is, is never to be separated of an action. So if I have, let's say I decided to, I don't know, um, go to bed earlier because I'm tired in the morning only works if I actually go to bed earlier. And <laughs> because if I'm, I just sit here and yeah, like, great, great. And I tell everybody I've decided it, but I didn't. Or one beautiful example for this is, is sports, right? I decided to be more active and, and do more sports. And yeah, I only decided it really once I actually do it because before that it's, it's a wish or it's a, it's a choice that I want to make, but I haven't really made it yet. 
because I'm not following through. So for me, a decision is is inseparable from of an action. And I know many people might not agree with that, but for me, this is one of the the, the key elements of a decision. So simply saying I'm going to do something isn't isn't really the decision yet. And in crisis, that's very important because I'm often asked when I when with the way I work, I just I I support leaders and 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 companies in taking these confident decisions. So people always ask me afterwards, well, so and then they need to act. I'm like, no, for me, when the decision, what I, what, in, what it implies taking a confident decision is also acting upon it. That's, that's for me implied in the decision because it's not only saying like, that's, that's what we're gonna do, but you never do it. For me, that's also already implied there. So that's why decision is for me, one of the key elements. Mm. I know that when you and I were talking about that or when we had that conversation, one of the things that stood out to me was, I don't know how many times, but definitely quite a few times within my own life where I would blame myself for certain things that I actually didn't decide on, but rather I just had as thoughts. And then they were, and then they begin to be perceived as failures. And then I just, I literally had to take a step back after that conversation and look at it through a completely different lens. It's like, wait, I didn't actually choose to act upon some of those thoughts. So why am I giving it the same space as another situation that I did decide on? And that, I think that's one of the challenges, personally speaking, that I've experienced is being able to articulate the difference between the lived experience and the things that I actually acted upon versus things that were just thoughts. And it's fascinating to me, and maybe you have a perspective on this for why is it the way that it is, but why is it that certain thoughts, it appears, have um, similar weight as like the things that we actually decided on? Does that make sense? Like, how is it that they become so, like, I don't know, vibrate at such a high frequency that it makes them so real as if, as if it's almost an experience that you went through when the reality of the matter is like, wait, hold on. That was just the thought that you had. You, you didn't actually go through that thing, but yet you made yourself the belief that you did. Yeah, because, because I mean, when, when I understood, if I understood you correctly, I think mm-hmm. it's not also connected to, the, to, to particularly this last action point. Because, I mean, sometimes we have wishes or we dream or, you know, we, we, we have ideas and thoughts and, uh, of, of what we could do, should do, or want to do. A perfect example is the New Year's resolution. It's coming up again. Um, that's a perfect example for this, right? I mean, we, we ultimately, we, we think like, okay, this is the time when, when I take a decision to make changes for the positive in my life, whatever that's going to be. And those things are often not followed up. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and that, the danger then it becomes that, that it's perceived as a failure because you, you, you've decided this and you haven't done it. And the problem is if you don't go back and reflect over it, it might easily look as a failure mm. because you, you know, verbally and the way you communicate about it it's like you have taken a decision clear but not not under my definition you've just said okay this is this is an ambition i have that i want to that i want to follow up on but um if it's if it's a decision and you're not implementing it and this is the way you look upon it you also ultimately have to deal with a failure and that's never an easy way mm-hmm. and that's of course where, where maybe the weight comes in because mentally you're thinking like, well, how is it possible that I've, I've, I've made this choice and it didn't, didn't realize or didn't work out that as I wanted to be? Yes, because you, you, you neglected the activity part that is in, implemented for me and included in a decision. 
and 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 that's why it becomes becomes quite heavy and i do think language whether it's not language to myself or how we phrase something is is is, is a key and i know that you've also not only lately but particularly lately gotten into that topic uh, seeing your LinkedIn post, whether you have or you should or you want, um, those those are, those makes a significant difference. How we how our mindset is, how how we perceive as something is voluntary or not, or how much it is in our control, whether external control. So those are those are all elements that play into that. I think. Yeah, I had an interesting perspective uh, shift this morning as I was thinking about the whole we should, we need to, we must. I realized something, and it was um. Uh, a book I haven't read just yet, but a title that I've come across that I found to be fascinating. And I want to say the title was The Problem Is You. And it made me think of it in terms of (laughs) how I perceive much of this language that I choose to read and consume when it comes to those concepts of we need to, or we must, or we should do this is, I mean, really at the end of the day, the problem is me. The problem is me in how I'm choosing to look at that perceived reality, because whatever is a problem to me, it's not necessarily a problem for the other person. It, it, everything has to do with the level of self-awareness. You know, I, I just happen. And once again, it's not better or worse. It, it just is like, I'm just a different chapter of my life. And the things that are within my awareness are different compared to that other person. Um, and so what I, what I learned this morning and what I'm choosing to do is really going deeper. Like what is the tension? Why is there tension when it comes to that? Um, and not put blame to the other person for writing the way that they do, but more so under just try and develop a different relationship with those terms. I, I think that's, that's a, that's a very important point. I would, I would go a step further. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would also say it's the, it's the same with yourself um, because I think that the, the blame is is also something that I often see because it comes with qualifying our decisions, right? So I see this often, and I really am. And so whether it's the discussion about good or bad leadership, for example, right? Um, that's really in the eye of the beholder. Like a good leader yeah. will be a bad leader for someone else because you're not seeing the same thing in the person, and um, the same is with a decision. So. For me, and, and I wish I had said it myself, but it wasn't, my, it wasn't me who said that, it was Malcolm uh, Gladwell who said that, um, uh, that we never know what's on the other side of a decision, and we never do. There's some, there's some decisions where it's very likely that we know what's on the other side of it, but, but we, we don't take this decision isolated, right? So they're always connected to something. So there's also other players, other things that influence it. Yeah. Uh, and other things that influence the system around it. So when we've taken a decision, and particularly in crises, that's that's very relevant. The system might have already changed in the moment the decision the decision really realizes at the end, right? So um, we might be surprised what comes out of it. And then qualifying this a decision as good or bad is is something that is very dangerous because it misleads to us how the decision was made. And that's the mm. that's the most important thing because how did you get to it? Were you convinced about it? Did you use the, did you use language that you can live with? Did you consider your own values? Did you consider all the options? Like, I mean, for you, you for yourself, that's the only person you have to stand up for. Like, I took I took the decision, so I need to know how I got to it, and I think it's the best decision that I could have taken in that situation. And then there's the outcome. So I never, I really refrain from from judging decisions based on the outcomes because we don't know, right? And it's it's 
so it's it's also this showing a bit this um, not blaming yourself necessarily, because I hear often I, I hear often people say and leaders particularly say like oh should have done this very differently because you know that decision wasn't a good decision and and I keep asking well how do you get are you unhappy with you got how you got to the decision or what came out of the other end of it because for that mm. you don't really need responsibility and that's that's just very different things right it's 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 not a hundred percent as to to what you were saying but but I think this whole being aware that things look different from other people but also that you for yourself have a, a limited influence at one point it stops at one point it's, it's beyond your scope of influence and that you have to accept so really it's important that we cut ourselves some slacks a slack at times uh for those things how important is it to know the origin considering that everything is constantly evolving i don't know is it important um that's a great question because it's the, the problem is what 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 what's the added value mm-hmm. in that particular situation sometimes it's important if you want to find out more information maybe or if you you know if you were geeks like we are uh, you, <laughs> the, whole, the whole picture where did it start and where did it start and whether it's in a language when you say like well this you know whether it's a certain saying or originate or whatever but um, in some cases, it, it can be. I, f- I feel it can also be distractive because you go down in a, you go down these rabbit holes, and <laughs> at the end you find it, and it's almost like an anticlimax because of it. <laughs> oh yeah, oh. <laughs> that's what I was finding. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> and often it's also. The, the, the fact that you you know particularly in crisis there, there is no for me there's not really a beginning that's that's an interesting thing with crisis going back to your first question also which i've learned is that there's hardly ever a beginning and there's certainly no end because i have never heard in my life a leader saying like the crisis is over because nobody wants to take that responsibility because what <laughs> that is, right? um, but there's certainly leaders or others call it a crisis quite quickly uh, at some points so the beginning, it might have been felt like a crisis for many people before that, but nobody acknowledged it out of a power position, maybe, or out of a position of a, of a decision maker. Um, so then it wasn't really labeled the crisis. So that's also fascinating because it's, it, might be, it might have been perceived as one, but it wasn't labeled as one yet. And, and still, uh, it might not be perceived as one anymore, but it's still labeled as one. So these end beginning things, right? You don't know where the origin is sometimes and it's it's just too complicated to really find it out that's really interesting i i have been wondering with the whole coronavirus situation globally and individually but country by country like what does the quote-unquote ending point to the crisis go, is going to look like i mean pr- the assumption that i make is the vaccine you know here's the vaccine and, and here it's, it's released but then there's so much of that journey that's yet to be um, discovered, like how is it going to impact people? Not now, but year down the road, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, um, there could be serious implications that come from it, or maybe not, who knows? But that's an interesting point. I never thought about it from the acknowledgement point of view, you know, acknowledging the beginning or the end. It's also what, what you just said is also so fascinating because that is, that is true for the virus, right? Mm-hmm. But when we talk about coronavirus, corona crisis, it's all, it's an economic crisis. It's a social crisis. It's a mental crisis, not least. I mean, we're now, what, 
10 a year pretty much into, into the situation and now people really really i mean if they've most people have really thought through this year also mentally but now with still things dragging on and ups yeah. and downs this is a total crisis isolation so all these things are are also there right and and well we might have a vaccine and one element of this crisis might or might not disappear with it what's with the other elements to it and that brings me back to the whole label thing because we, we call it corona crisis but it's so complex it's like a mosaic of small crises underneath <laughs> and they, they might have all been triggered and we still call it all corona crisis but mine looks probably very different than what you experiencing so so and 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 all of these need to end or begin at one point right mm-hmm. and they didn't all begin at the same point and they're certainly not all going to end at the same point if they end so what i've what i've seen a lot is that crisis rather rather than end they, they phase out or they are they're being accepted as a change in, uh, in in people's minds, right? So then they accepted this, what's what's often called now the new normal. For me, the new normal has, has long begun. It has begun with with basically when when the whole Corona crisis began, because we we started to adapt, we started to change without often realizing it. Um, and now things have changed, and it's it looks different. We will not go back to how it was before. We won't because we have the whole experience that was in between with us. So. I think those are those are very important important points. So the whole beginning end is is fascinating, and the acknowledgement is is something that I've really noticed, um, and and I've also really started to research a bit on that. Is is how much is it actually a a thing that exists, and how much is it something that is claimed, and and a lot of the crises are meanwhile claimed through through from power positions because they cannot mm. be claimed from people who don't have power because they will not be able to take the decisions that ultimately need to be made in those situations and if the, the stakeholders don't acknowledge it then it's a bit tricky because of course you can call it a crisis but if the stakeholder doesn't acknowledge it the necessary decisions won't be taken so it's um it's quite a complex uh, <laughs> back and forth i'm not sure that's where you wanted to go with your initial questions but yeah <laughs> How does someone who doesn't have power acknowledge crisis just based well, on your own experience? I think it's, it's probably more real and more, more emotion and feeling based. I think it's, it's again, I think people attribute different things to crisis. So if let's say if there's systemic crises, right, one of the systemic, one of the big systemic crises that now also finally has gotten a bit of a, a bit more attention than, um, than the past decades or even maybe centuries is the, the, the whole Black Lives Matter movement, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's that's a systemic crisis that was noticed by by many many people before in different ways and different forms, but um, there wasn't really the acknowledgement there by the people who could have changed it. And now it it it's on the tipping point in one way or the other. So now the people became just too many who claimed it. In order not to acknowledge it anymore so and there's still there's still forces that fight against it right there's not not that there's a that there is an issue there or many so to say but that's that's one of the examples where probably people have felt that way longer than it was already acknowledged as than it was acknowledged as a crisis and here and there there were of course moments maybe in the past where that was acknowledged but not to the extent and not for the period of time that it should be because it's of course not that's also not just one single crisis we can solve. That's also a mosaic of crisis there. 
you know, you helped me see something differently as you were sharing this. Um, prior to it, I believed that in order for me to be able to create meaning from an experience, the beginning and the end were critical points to understand. But like, as you were sharing this and even the whole concept of crisis, I mean, <laughs> I could see I, there, there isn't a beginning or an end. It just, it's like you're in the middle of it all of a sudden, you know, and just like you get thrown, you get thrown into it and it's like, okay, you figure it out from there. And I just wondering like how important, obviously it probably varies depending on the situation, but how important is it to be able to know the beginning to an end? And are those really necessary components to be able to find meaning from an experience and from an event? You know, like we think, I think of stories. Most traditional stories have a beginning, middle and end. But like, as you, as we were talking about this concept, the crisis is just kind of like, boom, it's here. Mm -hmm. And then from there, there is no acknowledgement towards the end of it. As far as, oh, okay, the crisis is over. Even the whole thing with Corona, I mean, everything beyond the virus, people who have been impacted financially, what's the end to that? And, and, where the, and what is still Corona related and what isn't? Exactly. So I, I think you really, you really have a point there. And it reminds me of those, those famous Russian dolls Right, that you can put into each other. Matryoshkas. Matryoshkas. Mm -hmm. uh, and they, uh, and it's a bit like that. And for me, it's also, it's interesting because um, stories, yes, they have a beginning and an end, but stories are told by someone who has a story. So mm. stories are usually never hanging in the air. They're always connected to something. And I, I really started to shift that mindset because I also was very much into cause, cause effect uh, mm -hmm. thinking. Because I also worked in the beginning of my career, worked very intensely with conflict, uh, conflict analysis and conflict uh, resolution, including mediation work. And there, there, there was a lot of thinkers that that really, you know, there's the cause and then there's the effect, and that you know, cause of a conflict and that's the effects you see. And only in in, in recent years now, yeah, last decade, I I got uh, the privilege to work with people who. who who changed the thinking a bit and who introduced systems thinking into conflicts. And from that moment on, it, it really changed. It opened my eyes also very, very widely because a lot of those conflicts that, that are still ongoing, whether it's the Middle Eastern conflicts or whether it's other conflicts in the world that, that are long ongoing. Um, and you really, you have had made so many attempts in solving those. And, and often you hear like, oh, what's the root causes of the conflict? Well, they might probably not they might really not be relevant anymore because the system has evolved, has become so complex that they that all these factors are interdependent now. And it's not like, oh, okay, there's a there's a cause, and if you go to that, then it's solved, right? Whether it's in in Palestine, the the, the land issue, right? Uh, Israel, Palestine, the land issue, or is it a religion, or is it you know any many other things? But probably started way long before that. So it's it's just way too complicated to simply say there's a cause, we eliminate it or we, we, we address it or we solve it or whatever you do and then the effects are gone it's not a, not how it works anymore and with crisis it's it's very similar because it's really there's lots of other decisions made so i can within the scope of my influence i can make my decisions i can make sure that i know exactly how i make my decisions that i know where i'm coming from that i know where i would like to go accepting that the decision could be impacted by so many other decisions around it so meaning that 
even if I for myself take the right decision, the outcome might not be the desired one. And then I have to start again. Like, how does the system look now? And what is my scope of an influence and what, what do I do? And that can be very tiring, but it's the only way to really keep sane in a crisis because if you're not focusing on your scope of influence, you're lost in this complex system, similar with the, is similar with the conflict because you really don't know where to start anymore and the, the context keeps constantly changing. And the only thing that keeps you sane is really what, what's my scope of influence. And that changes throughout a crisis. Expands sometimes, it narrows sometimes, but you still, you, you'll always have one. There's always at least two choices, always at least two. Mm. But there's usually way more than that. Wow. That is a pretty complex system to think about it all. <laughs> all the different decision makers involved. Yeah. The ones that even aren't present right now. And it, as you were even mentioning this whole concept of a story, that's, that's what it made me think of was how many of the decisions I think I'm making and that if I were to only change one, then I can change the entire trajectory moving forward. When the, the reality of the matter is, I mean, even, even as I'm thinking right now, I don't know if I any longer subscribe to that because there's so many other people. You know, it's like trying to work on a relationship, but understanding that, okay, there's the part that I play. There's the part that the other person plays. There's the part that all the previous influence plays. My parents, my friends, my colleagues. There's the part that's everyone currently influencing the two circles plays. So there's like a never ending scope of decision makers. It is. And a lot of this is actually done unconsciously, right? So we, we make, technically we make decisions all the time, but often it's not really something that we would label decision because it's not the deliberate sitting down, assessing all my choices and then doing something. <laughs> a lot of those are automatized, right? But um, whether you stand up, whether you get up from bed at like, let's say seven or seven ten that's already technically a decision. Like, am I going to lie a little bit more and snuggle up in the blanket? Or am I following my son who screams already for half an hour? Please get out. <laughs> no, it's, it's, but still they they don't, they, they never happen in a, in a vacuum of, of, you know, there's nothing else that happens around us. And I think that's so important to remember. And, and the story example that you, that you brought, I think is a beautiful one because yes, we have a tendency to look at the story isolated, but the question is then, who tells the story? And we've had an exchange also online, but also in one of our conversations where we talked about like the danger of the, the single story. The single story. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, you know, who tells the story? What's that person's story? Who came up with the story? Who builds these characters in the story? Is it a real story? Is it a made up story? What makes a story real, right? Because it's always told from the eye of a beholder. So if there's another eye of a beholder, it might, might make a very different story. So. There is, there is these stories, but they never, ever are objective and in the same way and, you know, in this, and completely disconnected. They also happen in a, in a system, but it's only us who often decide to look upon them as isolated, as, as isolated events or isolated stories. But if you listen to different people, and it's just so funny when you do this with children, because they point out when you tell a story that they've heard in kindergarten, for example, and it was told a bit different by the kindergarten teacher. It's like, uh, no, sorry, daddy, that's not how it is. <laughs> that's how I was told how it is. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> just says, this is the story, right? So it's 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 just fascinating because it's these small things that remind you. But stories are part of 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 how we evolve, 
because that's that's always there and that's that will take us that's the history of that that we take with us so it's also interesting to to really reflect over yeah what we transport and what we pass on do you think so i've heard a couple interesting theories on the concept of the story the first thought that i heard was a story it's a part of who you are and that's the one i subscribe to that one because that's where i mean if if i really break it down it's <laughs> Much of this experience revolves around the story, the meaning that I choose to take from it. But then the other thought that I heard was, you are not your story. What do you think about that? Like at the end of the day, in whatever way that you can understand who you are, like who are you? And do you think a story is a core component of that? It's fascinating. I I like both both elements because they can also in a way coexist funny enough um i i think your story is is of course a a kind of a description or a a tale of who you are but then again you're shaping who you are while you go or and tell it there's Mm -hmm. almost a bit of paradox so i think it's it's um it's also i think you probably would at different times of your life tell different stories about who you are because you look upon yourself maybe differently. So yeah, then the, the chronology might might be the same, but it might be different on what, what you're emphasizing on or what you learned later on that actually were important points in your life. We, we, we used to do this exercise with, with leaders where they had to draw a, a kind of a, a map of their life almost, uh, deciding when there were certain values or, or certain turning points in their lives. Uh, for the better or worse, or anything they would they would label as important points. It's also interesting. I'm sure maybe you've done it, or you, for you to do that, because that would be certainly fascinating with your story, to where, where you would assess those points are, and then do it again in a couple of years, and and not looking at that first map, but do it again and say like so where where these points are, and they might not even be at the same points anymore, right? Because something has happened already, and your story expanded, but. But they even said like they in these reflections, they often said like, well, and I remembered points that I'd never my whole life considered as a turning point but all of a sudden now it became one so that didn't change the story but it changed what i told about it and so i think i think both of the things that you that you mentioned can can for me the way i hear it easily coexist it's just a matter of of what you emphasize in it mm-hmm. um, do you emphasize the, the, the story around you or do you emphasize the storyteller um that's what I realized kind of throughout my own experience. I'm a huge believer that, and you and I had this conversation, one of the reasons why I've been able to um, reframe and look at my life through a different lens, because I started to look at the story differently, more so the language. You know, for me, I'm realizing now that like, I don't have to take you in the exact traumatic experience and describe it to you in every single detail in order for you to understand what I've been through. Rather, I can choose to create that experience just using different words, like abuse, mental, physical, whatever it is, and then you're able to relate. And that's where I realized that so much of the, um, I mean, language is a really critical part for me in telling that story. And and what you described, like what do you choose to focus on? The other thing that kind of fascinates me about um, stories in general, and I guess my own experience is like what defines a major event? You know, I think about my own journey and I think about those critical points when I try and map it out. Nine, when I was 12 was the second. 
And then the third one that I could think of was 24. That's when I kind of started to act upon <laughs> or act upon, even though I was acting upon it for years leading up to it, but like solidified that, Hey, this is what I want to build. But that question of like, what defines a major event to begin with on that critical path? Because as you mentioned, it, it's thousands of other decisions that played just an equal of a role in leading up to that nine-year-old decision or that 12-year-old or the 24. Um, I, I wonder like if part of the reason why a major event is a major event is just repeated story, repeated behavior. And then after a while, it just becomes that reality. Maybe a major event is something similar to what I initially tried to kind of def define as a crisis because it changed your system. It changed the rules or your system significantly, potentially. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, Sometimes it's also maybe not an event even, right? In your case, it might be events, but for others, what I've seen sometimes is just simply a, um, an awakening that wasn't even an event. Like sometimes, sometimes just they, they realized something they had learned earlier and only then it hit them. So not necessarily through, through a specific event, but just they were somewhere and all of a sudden it hit them. So this is almost this moment of awaken, awakening. Um, but what I like about, stories and i don't know i mean this is a quick maybe a question question for you since but since i'm not the podcast host i'm not even sure that's allowed uh <laughs> a, a question for you maybe um which stories do you prefer do you prefer stories that are told to the detail or do you do you prefer stories that give you just enough to create the world and follow the narrative but leave things some of the things unspoken that you fill up, fill up for, with your own experience or your own thoughts and imagination or whatever. That's a really good question. Um, you know, I looked at it as both. So the first thing that I looked at was that there was definitely a time that when I looked at my experience and I was very much focused on the details. Um, one second. A dog is drinking some water in the background here. Um, there were definitely moments within my story where I chose to focus on the details, especially when I was sharing it at the very beginning of it all. Mm -hmm. And then what I realized was that after a while, that focus shifted. And so I was no longer focusing on the details, but rather just overarching topics and themes. Um, what changed was that I had realized that I no longer had to take people into the same exact space in order for them to understand it, what it was like to be in X, Y, and Z situation. Um, you know, there was also a great sense of responsibility that I understood in sharing a story that I didn't understand however many years. And I'm acknowledging that not necessarily to blame myself or say, man, how could you not have done that? But that's just where I was. Um, and the reason why I also say that is because, um, you know, I personally don't feel like there's anything wrong with being quote unquote, a victim. Cause it's like, that's a matter of perspective. What does that mean to be a victim? You know, does it mean to dwell in the circumstances? Does it mean to be at the first phase of acknowledging what had happened? There's so many different pers uh, perspectives when it comes to it. And 
when I accepted that responsibility that, okay, now I know what I know and I no longer have to tell the story in the same exact details, there's a different way that I can convey the message. Mm -hmm. Then I can change my language. I can start presenting it differently. So long story longer to your question, I think there was a time and place for both. I think there was a time and place for both. And I'm also learning that moving forward, there may be a time and place for both. You know, whenever I get asked a specific question, like what was it like to be a nine-year-old kid living here or a 23-year-old kid living in this city? What did you eat type of thing? That's where I think the details do play a, a value. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it's, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't believe it's necessarily um, trying to transform <laughs> a negative experience into a positive. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's the end goal of everything. I think there are certain things that just meant to be acknowledged for what they were. Mm -hmm. um, one interesting question that I was asked this morning as I was presenting on the topic of how do you reframe adversity into opportunity the person had asked me a question around trauma and she had said, what can she do differently or what can she do to lessen the trauma prior to it happening? You know, that, that's a fascinating question. Um, for me, I choose to look at it as a learning opportunity. So that question of what am I here to learn and what is this here to teach me? It carries with me everywhere, every single moment. Like before even the crisis happens, because um, I'm realizing that the more that I can practice looking at things through that question, then when the crisis happens, the better equipped I am. Because then it's just like, oh, this is just like any other event. I don't have to give it this, you know, grand emphasis and make it into something that's, it's truly not. I mean, as we started this conversation, like, what is a crisis? So what that you can't pay a mortgage or rent? Like, will you die? Probably not, but maybe. Yeah, maybe. You know, and what can you learn from it? How did you get here? Yeah. Um, what can you do differently moving forward? And that that that's another thing that I find fascinating with what you pointed out, because that was the whole question around origin. You know, I don't think it's really necessary to know the origin for me in, in some situations, because it's more important for me to understand, okay, it's happening now. Here's how I'm going through it. And here's what I can take from this situation, not necessarily all the decisions that led me to it, because decisions evolve. So whatever got me here may not be the same situation that gets me to the next one. Exactly. So it's like, what's the point of me sitting here and looking at this one decision and trying to avoid it, when in reality, the more that I focus on it, the more that I'm probably going to attract it. Yeah, yeah. This is I maybe mean, what you just said is is one of the key phenomena that that keep happening. That we we make our own realities based on going down these these rabbit holes. And we have had that in our first podcast episode where we talked a lot about <laughs> assumptions become become reality and then expectations and then how we kind of build this whole story that's a story in our head and the interesting thing with with crisis and and with what you say is that that i i see this very often in particularly when, when it comes to this topic um 
that I have a very ambivalent relationship to the whole crisis preparedness uh, because it's a bit. I see a lot of the a lot of the work in that field is done based on assumptions. So it's on the one hand based on the assumption of well, you know, we we managed the previous crisis, so we prepared for the next. So it's this whole this whole assumption of repetition. I've not seen in my life, and this is like no crisis is like the other. Yeah. The topic might be similar, right? The, the thing that triggers it. But since we've already said it's it's experienced in very different ways, so it's unlike the other. Elements of it might be the same. Elements of it I might recognize, but it's not. No crisis is the same as the as the other. So preparing yourself for it based on what I've learned in a previous crisis works to some extent, yeah. but certainly not to the extent it's done. Another assumption is that I'm ever prepared for for a crisis. No, because we never <laughs> know. It's it's we're never prepared, right? And I've seen situations where. People have lots of training. You train your emotions, you train your, your reactions, particularly when you go in conflict settings, when you go in crisis settings where you experience really a lot of, uh, a lot of impressions that, that, that are overwhelming. And they can be overwhelming and you don't know how you react. I've worked in so many crises and I still cannot say that I'm prepared for anything. I know myself very well now. That's, that's what I can say. So I know certain reactions, but I do not know which reactions I will show next time. Because I, I have the most difficult crisis that I have ever to have, have had to manage ever was not difficult because of the actual crisis, but it because it was difficult because of my state. Yeah, it was I was I had just become a father. Um, I I was really tired. I had just done a professional change, um, and then I was called into this this emergency operation, which sent me to to Bangladesh for two two weeks, and the apart from this this overwhelmingly challenging context I was in, I was in a state where I had so many more things to worry about that I had never to worry about before in a mm -hmm. situation like that. So I was just there for, what was it, two weeks, maybe three. I came back. This was the most difficult thing I've ever done. Like really, I, I, I took it took me certainly a year, if not longer, to work through all the, the experiences that I've had in, that, in those three weeks. And that has never happened before ever so first of all my shield wasn't the same i wasn't the same but i had done lots of training i've done worked in lots of different crises so i was certainly aware of like you know i know myself very well no you never don't so this is also another assumption that happens a lot so this is uh, and, and and that's why you know focusing on what we have and focusing on really as you say um try to take it as a learning opportunity but try to really also reflect over what you can learn and now I'm not a trauma expert. And that's really a specific topic that I'm also very careful about because I know that, that's, that there's, there's people who are fantastic with this topic. And that's such a deep indoctrinated topic. Like, you know, the, the, the collective trauma that can be passed on over generations, uh, individual trauma, et cetera. So all of this is there. And, and there's very different ways and fascinating uh, books out there around this topic. And, and it's if you have come to a point like you have, where you basically used it to to not even not even to recreate but to strengthen your your individual identity even more and say like yes it's part of me i'm telling the story i'm telling it to the extent i think i want to tell it with with, with the details maybe in the beginning it might have been a way for you to work actually through it by telling yeah. it very detailed Later on, you make it a learning experience by letting the people fill it up with their own details because there's lots of things people can relate to, but it's even a bigger learning experience if they translate your story into theirs. 
Um, so I, I, I think that's, uh, that, that's just incredibly strong also to watch how, how you've used it. And I think there will be many people who will be, get inspired by that, but it's, as you probably can confirm, or I know from our previous conversations, that it's not been an easy journey or it yeah. still isn't and it's a learning journey along the way um so i think yeah people and, can can be inspired but it's not easy you know and the other thing that i'll add to it is um even though yes there are however many different experts and <laughs> people that work into that space in that space to begin with what i realized just for my own self is like i figured out what works for me and I think that in my opinion, I, once again, I'm not going to speak on anyone else's experience or your experience. It's like, I think that's part of the end goal is to figure out what works for you. Mm. And that's why like we do what we do. And as people is like share different experiences in order to, well, I can't speak for all once again, but some of us choose to use those experiences to help others, help them better understand like, okay, here's what worked for me. Take whatever you want out of it and apply it to your own life and then whatever works for you that's awesome um for me when i started to look at it through that lens of what am i here to learn it transformed my experiences completely like i no longer even view them the same way i <laughs> i don't give them the emphasis anymore it's like it's almost like reading a timeline it's like this event is not any greater than this event or that event or the event after that they're all on the same uh, scale because I've been able to look at them in its, on, you know, in isolation and then try and articulate like, okay, this happened. I'm not going to try and figure out why did it happen, but what did I learn from that? When my awareness clicked in or uh, started to kind of work, like what, what did it help me become more aware of? And what, and then the choice beyond that, what can I do to, um, what can I do with it moving forward? But the the point that you brought up as far as being prepared for a crisis, I, I find that fascinating because there were times throughout my life where like, that's all I would try to do. Prepare for the next crisis. This one is happening before I can even solve the current one. I'm already thinking on to the next one. Like, all right, what can I do differently for so it doesn't happen again in a month or in a week? or in 24 hours, when the reality of the matter is you're so spot on. It's like, you don't know the type of experiences or decisions you're going to encounter in the next 24 hours. I mean, in the next hour, we have no idea what may happen because there's so much that's out of our control. You know, the internet may go out. I don't know, the experience might, the world might experience a blackout. So there's gonna be no communication. Just like you don't know what you don't know. And I think far too often, I was trying to rationalize to myself, like, how do I deal with the unknown and how can I control it? If I can pinpoint anything, it's it was to control. It was the desire to control the experience instead of just like letting it be and, and really acknowledging that, hey, it's more important for me to develop a stronger mindset through questioning and the ability to learn rather than try and prevent specific outcomes. And, and that brings us a bit back to, to, to also what, what I tried to reply initially. And that's really that feeling that I often see in, in crisis situation that people have, it's like, it's out of my control. So it's, it's really this desperation to get it back, that control back. And 
and that's not impossible that's the, that's that's the beautiful thing it's just it's really a matter of accepting at first not fighting it that's that's one of the things that i have i've often seen that people fight it it's like well but you know what is it and really that origin <laughs> if there's a blackout great but what does it help you in the middle of nowhere to find out where the, where the blackout far away has originated it might not help you there and then what what might help you there and then if you can't find that out you have to let it go right and then you just have to really focus on okay but here and now what are we going to do but one of the one of the interesting things is that what i like to do first is really to to get different perspectives of what people actually think is happening so to just really expand my own reality say so like so this is how i see it. what do you see you know what, what what's happening in you like um to really just just get this like we look all at the same thing but you know maybe you stand on the other side of it and yeah. i've i've um there's a beautiful exercise that that i was um uh that i was taught about a year and a half ago um which is really this it's it's systems modeling you know you can do this very complicated and, and you know the experts do that very complicated and really sophisticated and, and a lot of calculations and work but you can also do that very simple by using just simple let's uh, you know toys to well whether it's artistic toys or whether it's just little things to build and construct things um, and you can just sit the group around the table and, and tell them like, well, now, now is your turn to construct, let's say how your team looks, right? Mm. Um, and it's a very, very rigid, basically, it's a very rigid method where you just go around and everybody only gets a turn. So it's not a chaos, but it's really very organized. But what, what really the powerful thing is that you're not allowed to move seats, right? Only at the end when you're done with it. So it usually takes 15 minutes, maybe 20, you can, you can decide. But at the end of it, everybody goes on the same side and you do reflection rounds. So you basically go one around the table on each side, you, you answer different questions. And that's fascinating because then you only see the system, you build the system from your perspective sitting there. This is how it looks for you. But you had no clue how it looks from the other person who also built on it and built it from their perspective. So then you only see how, how different we, we perceive things, right? It's a beautiful eye opener because the different sides one of the questions is what emotions does it trigger in you to look at the system and that might be very different depending on which side you you're at and and it's similar in a uh, in a crisis that's why i'd like to do this at the beginning because i might be super comfortable with the situation i've been in a blackout 15 times before so it's, it's certainly not an issue but you might not have and if i don't understand what's going on in your head from your perspective what's happening what, what emotionally triggers you how can we together work on this crisis? We won't because we're not talking about the same thing. So that's that's one of the things that I I like to do in the beginning often. How much would you say of? So I believe in this theory. I, I believe in the theory that everything that I'm looking for is within. All the questions that I'm seeking answers to, they're within. They just haven't been revealed just yet. And, and in creating spaces like this where I can hear other people's perspectives, I'm a huge believer that I can shift my own perspective. Mm -hmm. Do you operate from a similar mindset when it comes to empowering others to better understand, A, what does crisis even mean to them? How do they go through it? What do they feel? Like, would, is that a model you go from? Absolutely. Because that's, that's what it's all about. Like when I work with, when I work with advising 
whether it's companies or leaders or even people in, in, in going through crisis, it's not important what I think about it. Mm-hmm. it because I, I, can, I can manage it. I can also give you ideas of how to manage it, but you will never feel the ownership because it's all about getting you in control. It's all about you, you need to be able to, to define your scope of influence. You need to be able to, first of all, define what is your crisis and then which decisions are important for me to take now or to make now because it's it's not my decisions that are important for you it's your decisions so so this is this is absolutely a mindset that 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 i'm trying to promote not only in crisis because we've, we've talked about it before but for me it's it's that's that's the key we're, we're asking too often others right yeah. and i can ask you what what do you think the crisis is here well actually i should be defining it and sure you can give me your perspective and i'm happy to give my perspective but never first because i want to hear yours first and then we can share and I can expand your reality by telling you my perspective. Um, and you can take or leave whatever you want from that. But, but the, the, the key is that it, it always lies, the ownership always lies with the people who have to manage it. And that, that's for me one of the premises when working with crisis because it's not mine, right? Yeah. Yeah, I learned the same thing even this morning <laughs> prior to our conversation when I was facilitating that discussion, some of the questions I got afterwards um, revolved around, you know, specific situations. And I, I just answered a question with a question, you know, like, what do you think? Or what's the relationship that you would like to have? Um, how important is this to you? And in that moment, it, it once again, reaffirmed for me that I think far too often, and I actually sent, I sent a text this morning to a friend of mine who helped me realize this, very first time I met her, when her and I had a conversation on the phone, she created this space where I felt empowered. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember prior to those situations, <laughs> there were moments where let's say I would have a, I don't know, a perceived problem or whatever it is. And I'm instantly going to someone to ask, like, how do you solve this? How do you do this? What I realized was that even though there's a time and place for that, those situations, there was a significant of amount of um, ownership and power that I was just giving away mm-hmm. without having the chance to sit down and think about it. Like, well, how can I solve this? What do I think about it before seeking, seeking someone else's thing? And so I sent her a text this morning. I was like, you know, thank you for helping me realize that. Um, Cause that's an important thing for me to understand that. Yes. The other person might be able to help me, develop a method but at the end of the day it's up to me like i there's ownership that comes from that <laughs> and i think there's there's a lot of beauty from having that ownership prepares me for the well prepares to a degree you know it, it gives me i think the confidence to step into the next one and know that like i can solve it no matter how difficult it may be well, without to a doubt, degree. I mean, it's it's also a, a clarification process to many points, right? And and even even to turn it around, which you know, <laughs> mean by very well that I like to do, it's equally important not to answer the questions quickly, because that's where also I mean, you just you get just gave you example, you just bounced it back and said like, well, you know, what, what do you think? Yeah, it, already that is empower, empowering because because we're we're also automatized sometimes and, and, and drilled to really answer the questions that are posed to us if we know an answer to it. But then again, it's important to remember 
that this is our answer. And yes, some questions are very straightforward. I mean, of course, but others are questions that where we are asked for our interpretations of things. And, yeah. and we don't perceive it as that because for us, it's knowledge, right? It's not our, our interpretation. So we answer very quickly while we might not have to answer it so quickly. And, and that often I've experienced this to, to take actually away the chance of the other person to find it out and get that feeling that you've just imagined, uh, that you've just mentioned, like the, the whole empowering, the whole uh, clari- self-clarification, the whole, you know, even curiosity about, oh, well, you know, what, yeah, what do I actually think about it? Because we often don't do that. And that's yeah. beautiful to see how people sometimes really like, wow, yeah, they're, they're surprised first by being pushed in that, into that space, but then they start to really like it. Sometimes it's difficult, but most of the time it really ends up with like, wow, yeah, I actually, I know so much more about myself now. And that's beautiful. Um, How do you trigger that behavior? Like personally speaking, when it comes to slowing down, taking the time to think, because, uh, okay, my experience has taught me is that it does not happen overnight. Um, <laughs> it takes however long to develop, but I've, I've been curious from your perspective like what anchors do you do you use certain anchors you know when something happens and it like makes you feel like okay decide 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 and then you you just tell yourself nope i'm gonna sit with this if uh, well the superpower that i've (laughs) mentioned earlier in the podcast um this whole you know take a pause or take a breather is something that i'm still working on it I know it's I know it's a superpower and I, I do have it quite often but I I often don't, don't I often also forget it because you get sucked up into your tasks and into doings and then often the situations are so quick particularly in crisis situations but also in others where you have to react and think you can't really think and so on but sometimes I I've learned quite well to understand when it gets too much because when I struggle to really okay now the prioritization becomes difficult now I I feel there's a lot of things happening at the same time and I don't have control. That's when I usually go into, okay, just a second. Let's, let's, steps, let's step back a second. Um, let's, let's just put our heads together. What's happening here right now? And I can tell, okay, this is, how, this is what I think happen, is happening here. This is how I see it. There's really, really this zooming out. And, and there is not really anchors. I think it's really a behavior, but often the processes are so... Uh, there's there's a fluid that you don't really know when to do that pause right so this is something mm-hmm. that you have to learn and i'm still learning it and and i'm i'm, I'm really triggering or try to trigger it in in many people or, or teams even to to learn that moment like in a workshop it's easy you know i give you a task and then i, I and then you you you're tasked to solve the task and then ideally you should before that you should because the rules might always change and then you should do that okay is still everything the same are we looking at the same way let's go that's very straightforward but it doesn't happen in real life usually so this is just really something that's a constant learning process um that is a good point there really is no beginning or end no and i recommend that i i say that really when when during crisis management the same the same logic applies like you know no decision is ever the last decision you, you, you don't you don't stop like just because you have taken a decision um doesn't mean you won't have to take another one or your crisis is managed or averted or whatever you might not even look upon it as crisis anymore i mean we haven't we haven't touched upon that subject yet where you can just simply take away the crisis narrative and it will totally empower you but but um 
the thing is that in a crisis is always another decision as we said you never know when it ends so there will always be decisions and that's even the normal working life there's always decisions to be made so so then it, it and that's the same logic you don't know when these pauses are necessary but just make them regularly that's the only tip I, I i give everybody just you know don't think about it oh i should have done it now but more like decide to do it really and then decide in the sense of also act upon it so how do you take away that narrative it's it's fascinating because it's simply not talking about it and not labeling it crisis is already taking away the narrative because you you what you don't trigger is that that subjective imp- uh, interpretation that everybody has of crisis now we have now we have mentioned corona crisis mm-hmm. yeah it was labeled corona crisis or covid crisis um or pandemic crisis whatever um over the past year and that's been repeated but what it subconsciously triggers is every single time our relationship to the word crisis and that has been that has been fueled throughout this year and it was for many not necessarily a positive experience for most i'd say so um so by simply taking it away and say like well it's a challenging situation right now um these are the facts really try to be very descriptive about it but not even too extensive it's like this, 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 is, these are challenges, but then you immediately go into the decisions and you become active. What I've noticed very often is when you talk about crisis, you become very descriptive of the context. You know, this is what's happening around you. And uh, these are all the challenges we're facing. And, but you never actually, you, you never go to that sphere where you talk about the decision-making, where you talk about what, what scope, what's the scope of my influence? Is this a decision I can make or not? Um, we have a lot of decisions that we observe from leadership, states, leaders now primarily, or health organizations or others, but we don't really focus on the decisions that are closest to us. And by taking away that whole big crisis narrative and just narrowing it down, what's actually my crisis, what's, what's my situation, what's my problem, you're way more there. So it's just simply language, uh, also the way to, to how, how teams and individuals how positive their mindset is to really try something new to to focus and trust their own resources can be strongly shaped through language if you have an encouraging leadership management uh that that really just you know gives you the message in the sense of like yeah we, we know we'll get through this no doubt and no doubt in our our heads that we'll ever get through this and we'll just we'll just work it out um versus you have a leadership that says oh this is going to be very challenging and everybody needs to give their best otherwise we won't make it it's you start on very different levels with the crisis response because the team that has has not heard all the challenges constantly yeah not to hide the truth but not to overemphasize the challenges um is already has a head start and the other one first has to really get the confidence to even get to the point where the other thing, where the where the other team starts, and that makes a huge difference in crisis response. To my experience, well, it's almost like hearing all the reasons for why you are going to make it through it, and and you're not. You know, I think there's something. I don't know this part about language, but that would be a fascinating conversation to have. But I, I remember once upon a time read somewhere how the negative um, words have a significantly higher frequency compared to the positive one. So it, I think it was like four to one or something like that. Like you had to say like, I don't know, like four positive words to have it equal one negative word or something like that. And um, I could definitely see that. I could definitely see how if one is presented with all the reasons for why it's not going to work and all the reasons for why it is, 
assuming that they're equal, you know, 10 and 10, this one's going to be way significantly higher because ju just of the natural motion that it carries with it. Did, I mean, even that feeling, I'm sure you can relate to this, like <laughs> being able to embrace that, hey, you can't do this because it's, it's so much more than the words. It's like, then your ability is questioned. Your every single feeling is an alarm, you know, the alarm, like it's, it's going off. It's like, oh, I can't, I actually can't do it. And you have to reach elsewhere to find that additional strength yes. or knowledge or perspective. That, that is, that, that is a, a common phenomenon. We see that very often also with, for example, people in teams who have a negative attitude or who constantly nagging or you know mm. you come with a suggestion and the person just replies well that's not going to work that's all that it takes and the problem is this social contagion phenomena right where you basically you can really uh, spread emotions or or a mood or you know even how you look look upon a, a certain task within the team so that's actually a phenomenon it's almost like it's almost like passing on uh let's say the flu which is a bit bit insensitive at these times now but yeah. to illustrate the point so you can do this in a in a team as well so emotions are contagious and the, the interesting thing is that the negative emotions are way stronger than the positive ones so so there is there's lots of research done where you say that the negative um if there's a person that keeps emphasizing the negative it will always outweigh the positive unless mm. you eliminate that person or eliminate that negative narrative and and, and that mirrors exactly what you've just said. So, so simply, you know, you, you cannot counterbalance a crisis negative with simply saying, oh, it's also an opportunity. Because that's what I often see now. And, and, and I think it's great that, that people are also really trying to, to push that narrative. But there's still, it's too strong what we hear around us, what's negative and what's, what's yeah. challenging. It will not outweigh that. You just have to, you have to eliminate that, that other narrative. And, and that is not possible globally easily it's not uh, but what you can do is within your company you know you can just really make it clear this is where we stand and again that brings that brings us back is where, where you have focus lies you have to you have to really put the focus on on your scope of influence and, and i've said it now several times and when you do that and shape the narrative according to that tell that story that that you think the, or you know the company is going to go through and this is how the story is going to look you you have a significant advantage that, that there's a significant advantage in how you're dealing with the, with the situation and your team because they feel empowered we've done experiments that in 20 minutes experiments with we, where we outlined exactly these things with two different teams same exact same story four paragraphs on it and they had to write a, a, a five-line memo to what was it the shareholders the difference in these memos was unbelievable it was like they were, t were talking about two different stories one <laughs> world was doomed and the other one like oh we're going to turn the world over we're going to turn into something very different we're ready and this was just four paragraphs now, now imagine how much communication goes on on a daily basis within a com any company or any you know anybody and and how much power there there is hidden within that and that kind of speaks back to the point that you and i addressed i think prior to hitting the record button it's difficult to understand what we've discovered or have not just yet but that concept of placebo effect. Yeah. Uh, that's a real thing. It, it, and, you know, and even in the situations where certain things is crisis, I always talk, well, I mean, I guess you could look at it as crisis or one can look at it as crisis, 
um, the things that I experienced while living here in Austin, allergies and everything else. And I started to question like how much of it is just a placebo effect of what I've heard, um, what others are experiencing. It's like the same, ex- I, I think about um, an example that it makes me think of is when I see someone yawn, I know like I don't have to yawn, but yet I just do it. Yeah. And that one's just completely just out of my control. You know, it just happens. And then I just, afterwards, I remember reflecting like, why did I just do that? I didn't, I'm not tired or I'm not, <laughs> I'm not well, feeling the need, but the mystery, yeah. They, they, yet they, healing, they're just they're seeing the other person, seeing the other person do it was enough for me to do it. <laughs> and I mean, you, you might've noticed that now and we see that here because uh, in Norway, it's, it's now, you know, kindergartens are open and um, in Norway, children and particularly small children are sick from October to May. So now we have, we live in, in, in the times where COVID is a topic. So you really like, you start thinking, okay, every time you're sick, you, 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 your focus goes on, oh, my throat actually hurts. Um, yeah. yeah. But do I still taste? No, it tastes different. Yes, of course. Every time, every single time <laughs> blue, it tastes different, right? But, but your, 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 your mind just interprets things completely different because it, it relates it to different things. So it's ext- extremely powerful what we can do with our minds. And, and, and yeah, the placebo effect is a, is a thing so it's uh it's it's very interesting um and very i think we, we we know a fraction about what's going on in our minds but the little we know uh is already incredibly fascinating and the meaning changes every time as you mentioned i didn't even think about it this way even though i'm drinking the same exact water every single time it's different yeah. sometimes it's colder sometimes it's hotter sometimes the taste is actually different because it's influenced by whatever I ate before or whatever else that's, you know, that I'm not aware of. But I, I was just thinking about it as you were mentioning, even with the same exact, very same exact variable in place, it's a different experience every time. And I mean, your nose is a little bit more stuffed, right? I mean, that, that this, that influences your taste. So I, there's so many things, right? Or, or like a, a throat ache, and you immediately relate it. I mean, I, I have had home office, and the, the number of people that I see, I think you can count on one hand. Um, <laughs> no, I've, I've, I've also been sick because, of course, my, my kids, you know, they bring it home um, when they have a cold or something. So I got a bit of a throat ache, and I'm like, well, okay, so throat ache. So that's a, that's a symptom. But then I'm like, I didn't even meet anybody. <laughs> You know, how is that even, how, what's, the, what's the risk and the likelihood? And the, <laughs> you still are influenced by that narrative around you, right? Because you still say like, yeah, but it's not impossible. And it's like, yeah, but sure. I mean, you know, you, it becomes this conversation in your head between between two people, like almost too many people that look like you. And, you know, <laughs> it's, not it's not impossible. And the other one, like, come on, it's impossible. But so it's, it's uh, yeah, that might be a tricky thing there. I, I wonder how much of that, when it comes to just coughing, sneezing, and whatever else, is just generated from thoughts. Just thinking it, and somehow some that like triggering something internally to a point where, I mean, you have no other option but to cough or but to sneeze. Yeah, because you also focus on it. It's, it's yeah, the, it's the, it's the, almost the, like making yourself sneeze before sneezing. You know, it's like, yeah. all right, I'm not gonna sneeze. I'm gonna do everything I can. But in reality, you might be just triggering the exact thing 
that causes you, a sneeze. You know that that the funny phenomenon. Next time you see somebody who's who's about to sneeze, try to distract them. Or try yeah, to Yeah. I've done them. that. It's yeah. fascinating. And it, they actually don't end up doing it. Exactly. They don't end up doing it. And it's fascinating because I don't know why, because it's you know, technically it, they still would have to sneeze if you ask me, but then <laughs> that would confirm, you know, maybe our mindset is just playing a huge role in that. Um, or the same with the, with like you know you, some you're itching somewhere in your body, and have yeah. you ever tried to not scratch? Yeah, it goes and away. Just, yeah, but but it's so difficult not to scratch because that's where your thoughts are, right? And say like, okay, I'm not scratching, I'm not scratching, but you're constantly thinking about it. So only when you get distracted that it's like, oh yeah, oh I didn't scratch, I didn't have to. But it's it's, it's all this like these small things that show you that yeah, there's a lot of power in your mind, um, and and that you really if you if you can just masturbate to a certain degree, you have you have already, uh, particularly when it comes to crisis, you have a huge advantage because you can keep your you can keep yourself in check and regularly zoom in, zoom out, and and, and not get lost in you know in something you can't influence. Hmm. Thomas, you and I obviously can have this conversation for <laughs> the next five or six hours, but yeah. <laughs> what what would you say is the best way that people can connect with you? What's the best way that people can also learn about um, Crisis Compass? Uh, well, people are very welcome and, and we're happy for everybody who reaches out to us, to me, whether, whether it's on LinkedIn, you can also follow us on, on Instagram or visit our website. Um, but yeah, I mean, the easiest way is to really get in touch with us if you, have, if you want to have a conversation or uh, one advice or anything else. Um, I'm still working on my book. It's not... It's, it's too early to talk about it, but since it's out there now in the podcast, another pressure layer added on. But, uh, that, <laughs> yeah, that, when is that being released? <laughs> uh, it's spring 2021 if everything goes according to plan. Um, but yeah, we'll see how that goes. Thank you all for choosing to tune in to this particular episode. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next week.